Welcome to Conversations with Conscious Enterprises. I'm Roxana Rafetja, and I'm presenting to you the evolution of consciousness through business. In this very special episode, you'll be listening to our very first live event, which launched in partnership with One Hotels in November of 2018. This panel included some of the greatest and most conscious business minds across industries from hospitality, finance, media, food, co-working, wellness, and blockchain. Each of these people get a great introduction at the event, so I'll skip doing that here. But each of these business leaders is packed full of so much wisdom and knowledge to share. If you'd like to learn more about any of them, we have one-on-one -on -one interviews with each of them on our website in podcast and video format. So please go check those out. We discuss a wide range on the theme of impact and introspection at this event, which I believe is a crucial concept that must be well understood to maximize business and leadership potential. I hope you enjoy this discussion and please share it with anyone else you think might enjoy it as well. If you'd like to keep updated with us and find out about our next events, please follow Conscious Enterprises on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always find us in all the useful links and resources and subscribe to our mailing list at www.conscious.enterprises. I'm going to first start by saying that I'm gonna to have to read my entire intro because I wasn't going to take the risk of memorizing all of this. Um, so thank you for being here for such a special occasion. Um, I'm Roxana. I'm the founder of Conscious Enterprises. I'm also a event producer and a real estate agent here in New York. And tonight is the celebration of the launch of Conscious Enterprises, which started as an exploration into business leaders and conscious strategies for success. And we're evolving rapidly into corporate and leadership evolution services. I'm so grateful for all, all of you showing up to share in some important and very entertaining conversation, I hope, with these phenomenal panelists. Um, I especially also want to thank the One Hotel for their partnership, Pete and Hannah's team, um, for what we're planning to be a uh, long-term series together. Um, unfortunately, Sada Simone, who was going to lead us in a guided meditation tonight, wasn't feeling well. So we have Kira Michelle here, who will do that in a few in a minute. Um, so in his place, we'll have Kira um, guide us through an opening meditation, um, and then following the panel, and and then following the panel, we will invite you to a mix and mingle, and continue the conversation up on the One Hotel Bar. So to kick things off, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Conscious Enterprises, and then we'll get moving into the program. If you were drawn here tonight, chances are that you are aware of a major shift in consciousness that is occurring. At Conscious Enterprises, we can't help but see the world and humanity right now amidst a major evolution. What's so exciting about this shift is that it's affecting everything. You see it in exponentially growing technological advancements, AI, money systems, sustainability, socially impactful business innovations, but you also see it as a deep dive into inner awareness. There's wellness, the mind-body connection, cognitive enhancement, biohacking, altered states of consciousness, and a new buzzy desire for human optimization. 
We're becoming a species more aware of ourselves than ever and how everything is connected and how everything affects us and each other. And so Conscious Enterprises has been born out of my own personal curiosities surrounding these topics and my eagerness to boost this evolution. I've always had an insatiable curiosity around business leaders, entre entrepreneurs, and CEOs, not just their successes, but their psychology. What's the thinking behind their actions? What caused their successes and their failures? And would conscious practices and mindset have potentially altered their outcomes? I've also had an insatiable curiosity around the topic of consciousness, physics and deconstructing reality and how understanding these concepts empower a person to alter their own experience. So in an effort to explore these topics, I created Conscious Enterprises. And tonight's panel is the first um, live format of the series available on the website for conversations with Conscious Enterprises. And everyone can check out one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews with all these panelists that are up on the site now. And um, a couple of these will be up later this month. Um, what makes a conscious enterprise is not just an awareness of the world it's serving. It's an awareness internally within the corporation and within the corporation's leadership. And that's really key. Human optimization, the human optimization of a business leader comes from introspection, a lot of it. So the, th the theme of tonight's conversation is impact and introspection, which is a symbiotic relationship, because you cannot optimize the potential of your impact on the world outside of you without introspecting within yourself and optimi optimizing your inner state and state of mind. So I want to thank this incredible panel of conscious leaders for being here. It's so great to have you all here together. Um, these people are really spearheading the evolution of humanity through an extremely important medium, and that's business. So before I start introducing the panelists, I want to introduce Kira Michelle, who is here to save the day with an amazing guided meditation for us. Okay, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. All right, guys, how are you doing? Um, we're just going to get started with a really simple, easy meditation. So go ahead and sit nice and tall. Try to, let's uncross the legs, just root down through the feet, rooting down through the sit bones, and then go ahead and close your eyes. Good. Take a deep breath in. And then releasing, exhale, let everything go. Good. All right. So we're going to start just by simply feeling into the chair. So rooting down through the sit bones and then starting to lift up through each and every single vertebra, creating a little bit more space, finding space in the spine. And then roll the shoulders up and back a couple of times, just starting to release. Good. All right. So go ahead and tune in towards the breath. So noticing where in the body you're breathing, if it's short and shallow up in the top of the chest, or if you can bring it down a little bit deeper into the belly. And so with each and every single inhale, I want you to draw it in through the nose and work to expand all the way down to the belly. So it's as if you're blowing up a balloon, the, be the belly starts to expand, the diaphragm expands all the way up to the chest, to the throat. And then on the exhale, have this sensation of release, of letting go, of softening.
And so just continuing to follow on with the breath, noticing how just after a couple of deep, full breaths, of slowing, of stilling, how this sense of relaxation starts to come. And as we hear, start to soften through the face, so releasing the muscles around the eyes, allowing the eyes to become really heavy and the eyelids to become even heavier. And then softening through the jaw, releasing, relaxing, noticing the areas that we tend to hold tension. And then returning back to the breath, full deep inhale. And with each exhale, have that sensation of softening, of sinking, of releasing. And the mind might and probably is wandering, jumping from one thing to the next, monkey mind, and that's completely normal. And when and if you do catch it, I just simply want you to notice and you can place in a box, label it, thinking mind, judging mind, planning. And then simply bring your attention straight back to your breath. And we use the breath as an anchor point, as a place to return home to time and time again because it's ever-present, and the mind will wander, and thoughts will come up. And to bring yourself back into this conscious awareness, we simply return to something that is present, in this case being the breath. The belly expands on the inhale, and we soften, relax, release on the exhale. And even though, so we live in New York, things tend to get crazy and busy and loud. So even though there's a bunch of different things going on, different sounds, you notice the sounds, notice the things that come up, and then simply return back to the breath, noticing any judgment, noticing any thoughts without holding on to them, simply notice and then return back to your home base, to your breath, to your heart center, time and time again. Full deep inhale, bringing it back, and exhale, release. Good, working towards a four second inhale, expanding, and a four-second release, that sensation of letting go. And 
returning back time and time again, knowing that the stillness is always present within, no matter what the chaos is externally, and you have access to it. It's not about learning it. It's about returning home to your knowledge, to your awareness. Slowly start to wiggle through the fingers, maybe moving the toes around a little bit. Full deep inhale, last really deep full breath. And exhale, releasing it out. Slowly start to open your eyes. Thank you. Thank you, Kara. Thank you so much, Kara. That was awesome. I feel like I needed that before I got on the stage. Man. All right. Everybody feeling refreshed? <laughs> I know, right? Um, okay. So we have six industries represented here tonight, six very conscious leaders. Um, six very conscious leaders from these six sectors to discuss trends in business, consciousness, impact, and introspection. And I'm so excited to have you all together here tonight for this. So thank you. Starting with Hannah Bromfman to my right. Um, she is the Corporate Director of Sustainability and Impact for One Hotels and Starwood Hospitality Hotels and Resorts. She has trained as an engineer and worked for green buildings companies for 10 years prior to joining Starwood. And she also teaches a Columbia, at Columbia University about green buildings and sustainability. Um, yeah, hey. Um, then we have Karan Rai, who is the founder and CEO of Asgard Partners. And he can tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, he's also part of the Wall Street Journal CEO Council. He was the former president of Ads Inc., a company he's known for growing up to 1.5 billion. Um, he has an MBA from Yale University and has also been featured in Thrive Global, which I'm a huge fan of because I love Ariana. Um, then we have Susie Fogelson, my first career idol when I used to work at the Food Network. Still, still my idol in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> um, she's the founder of F&Co. She was the former SVP of the Food Network. Um, a, TV, a TV personality known for being the judge on the next Food Network star. She's also a food trends expert and is just returning from what seems like a tour of speaking engagements on food trends across the country. Then we have Magdalena Sartori, who is the chief creative officer of The Assemblage. Um, she'll tell you about The Assemblage, which I love very much. Um, She's worked closely with Meyer Davis, who's the same interior designer, actually, as the One Hotel South Beach, both stunning properties. Um, she's also known for incorporating biophilia into her work with the $400 million development that is the assemblage. She has a master's degree from Columbia University, a graduate of the Polytechnic School in Switzerland, and she speaks five languages. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a long one. Um, then we have Alan Polinski, who is the founder of The Collective, which is located in the Bowery and has lots of vendors like The Alchemist Kitchen, which I'm sure a lot of you have been to. He is the co-founder of Juice Press, um, was former, has formerly worked for New York City hedge funds, 
He was also a former tennis athlete with the Sports Academy. Then last but not least, we have Maya Vujinovic, founder and CEO of O Group. She is a former General Electric executive and best known for introducing blockchain to General Electric. She has lived internationally in 14 countries and speaks internationally about blockchain. Most notably to me, she was invited by Peter Diamandis recently to speak at Abundance 360, which is really huge. <clears throat> so just quickly, I'd like to start it off maybe with Hannah, um, having you guys just explain a little bit more in depth about what you and your companies do and what makes you a conscious enterprise. Okay. Um, I'm not used to a mic. I have a very loud voice, so bear with me. Um, so I work for uh, Barry Sternlich, who many of you probably know, either consciously or not. Um, he started W Hotels, and Barry then operated Starwood Hotels and Resorts, left about 10 years ago, kept his capital company, Starwood, and then he kind of went on this soul-seeking adventure on how to change hospitality and make it a more conscious enterprise. So he started uh, the company I work for now, which unfortunately he's stuck with Starwood forever. So it's SH Hotels and Resorts. Um, and I work there as the director of sustainability. I don't really know any other CEO who really consciously chooses that role. And it's really exciting to kind of be a part of the business enterprise with him where he's looking not at the bottom line, but the triple bottom line, which is people, planet, profit, as many of you know, but really looking into those intrinsic values that you can't really touch and how we can actually affect change readily. Um, his big thing is every one hotel is a platform for change. So it's all about experimentation. It's all about kind of stopping and asking the question, do we really need this here? Do we really need to do it this way? Does this feel better? Does this feel worse? And then how do we merge those things with luxury? Because in fact, this is actually a really wonderful place to stay if you've never stayed here and anyone's welcome to if they ever want to. Thank you, Karan. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what do you do? So the, uh, the question was, <clears throat> what makes your My voice doesn't project. Check, check. How about now? Yes. So Asgard's a financial firm. We have investment banking arm that uh, <clears throat> helps companies. Um, you know, I'll get to kind of how we, what's purposeful about it. Uh, they're kind of smaller in size, little middle market businesses. And then we have a private equity arm where we make direct investments into companies. Um, what makes us conscious, uh, frankly, starts with an intention. So, uh, you know, when we, when we launched our firm uh, a couple of years ago, the team that came together Um, you know, we, we, had, we had a very, very specific intention. So all, all of us were finance guys. You know, I, I spent some time on Wall Street. I left that to go run a couple of companies. And I think it was, a, it was a collective of folks who got to a place in their life where, um, you know, it's a personal journey, but there just wasn't a whole lot of meaning to all the things you were doing. And you kind of had some successes, and you say, okay, is this it? And something is missing because all the things I thought when I got them, I would be in this place of complete contentment weren't there. So I did a personal inventory, used the word introspection, because uh, on my 37th birthday, I suppose. Um, and it was just, you know, it was just a realization that, you know, maybe it's just, there's more to it. Um, and then I had a couple of health things, which just, you know, exacerbated the circumstance and kind of 
got me to that place a little bit faster. And we just, I just realized that for me, uh, we all have a platform, whether or not we know it. Right? I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't write. The only freaking thing I know how to do is look at companies and build companies. So I made a choice that day that you know my platform was going to be business, but I wanted to do it in a very conscious way, and I wanted to do it in a way that, you know, I got some intrinsic, you know, joy and peace and bliss from being able to wake up every morning and do something that I really enjoy. Um, and that was quite a shift. So. That was the original. That was the, um, the precept of how this kind of idea came together, and I was very fortunate to enroll some of my closest friends. Two of them are sitting right here, partners in the firm, Christian and Robert. Hi. Um, and I, I guess I just became an evangelist, right? I was just like, dude, I had this epiphany. There's more to life than just chasing money. <laughs> you guys gotta come join me. It's awesome over here. So I made them both quit their big jobs, and I, I roped them in along with a few other friends, and, and we started our firm. And, what makes us conscious besides the intention is that we are very, very, very mindful about who we do business with, right? So uh, we will engage in our investment banking side with companies that are fairly small, that frankly probably couldn't afford us uh, at the stage they're in, but they have a real purpose. We can really get behind the entrepreneur and the intention and the ethos of that entrepreneur of how he wants to impact the world. Not from a place of you know, some grandiose design, but how they're choosing to show up in the world. And the same thing on our uh, investment side, you know, straightforward three-pronged investment philosophy. The very first one is, you know, we invest in companies that are purposeful. Right? And then we have our ethos about investing in them. We've got an operational plan for them. And we can go more into, into depth so in this in a little bit. That was my cue. <laughs> that was your... Okay. I have my own. <laughs> my own miggity mic. Uh, my name is Susie Fogelson. As Roxanne said, we worked at Food Network together where I met this rare flower um, <laughs> who was always so curious, so enthusiastic, so excited to learn and be connected to what we were doing. Thank you. Um, totally outside of her job description, <clears throat> if you will. So then you know it's a winner. So I'm really, really proud and pleased that you're following your passion like this. Thank you. Um, simply put, uh, I, I'm not sure I'm a conscious enterprise. I'm a conscious person. And uh, I try to run business by doing the right thing. And... Um, that is, is very similar uh, to what my partner just said, that it's about finding the companies that uh, might not be able to afford you, might not necessarily be within your business model, but are doing something that propels uh, positivity forward in business or in life. And we latch onto them and we try to help them with what we do. Um, we try to help brands navigate food culture. Um, that's my background, obviously, uh, coming from Food Network. So it's looking at the food-connected consumer and uh, what's happening in food culture and helping brands find relevance. Um, and so, uh, by example, we work with some small companies that are emerging brands that um, need a CMO but can't afford a CMO. Uh, and we try to act as that and help them not only uh, create an idea that appeals to two people, but that can scale. Um, and so I think in, in, I think being conscious is many, many things, but I guess one specific example of that is working with companies that are going to change the world and helping them, uh, get on a bigger stage to do that. Is this working? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what makes the assemblage conscious? Um, First, I, what is, what is the assemblage? Okay. <laughs> I guess that's going to respond to the question. Um, so the assemblage, it's, um, it's a space, um, a container 
for people to experience higher frequencies of living and working in the city. And the initial intention was to deconstruct the loop of isolation in New York City, where people um, wake up, go to work, go back home, or go somewhere to a restaurant or a uh, bar, and just create a space that offers a different experience of our life um, here in the city. So we have two buildings um, in New York. The third one is under construction. And and we have workspaces, we have living spaces, we have 81 bedroom apartments, um, and then we have social spaces. And, and there you can have breakfast and lunch with other people, so we serve um, food communally, so we eat together, we uh, have meditation in the space three times a day. Every night we have talks uh, from the community to the community, so every person there is doing something amazing. Uh, of impact in the world and so they share what they do so you can actually learn what everyone's doing but also uh, maybe create synergies with other people that may have a piece of the puzzle that you don't have. Um, so really it's about experiencing a different type of, uh, of life in the city and so yeah what makes it conscious um, it's just creating creating a space to experience consciousness um, and to collectively raise consciousness for, for all of us. Um, I think it's important to say that a conscious enterprise, so we talk a lot about our missions and what we do and our purpose and how that is helping expand consciousness, but it's really important to look at the organization itself and um, what we call just walking the talk. Um, and it's very difficult to get lost in that when you're building a business, especially in the city and when you have investors. Um, and that's, for me, the most important thing right now is to maintain that integrity at every single level of the organization. Um, so we really include the team members into the space as really the original funders of the space, more important than the members themselves. And they need to be part of the space, live the ethos, um, do the meditations with us, eat with us. Um, and they do these sharing circles where they all get to meet each other on a human level. Um, so yeah, it's. I think for me it's really important to be conscious at every single level. And thanks for doing this meditation before because that's part of what I call walking the talk. Thank you. I think Alan might need to borrow your mic for him to introduce the collective. <laughs> uh, good evening. Um, you want me to use it? Use it? Use it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you want Just me to first say what the collective is? Yeah, I'm uh, collective. like everyone else. I <clears throat> on planet Earth and breathing sometimes when I remember. Um, I guess was it collective is my hangout. It, like, it really is born out of an idea of where do I want to be and what do I want to do. Uh, when I was working in the city 12 years ago, kind of launched a hedge fund with some guys, and I was like, I really don't want to work with these guys. And so I took a what you call a sabbatical. Grandma was not feeling too well. And then I said, you know, I got involved with one company. But the collective is uh, my idea of what I consider a good time. Got some saunas, got some vegan food, got some plants, some wood, you go in there, hang out, meet people, waste some time, you know, just have fun, just just have fun. So, It's called being European. 
maybe, you know. Um, so what makes us conscious, uh, or as a company, I can only say that understand we're unconscious. So every decision I make, or I have made, I look back and I, and I'm, I look at all the vantage points, and I say, is it, this, is it the best I can do? How does it affect other people, and how does it make me feel? And with every step that I grow a business, I'm looking at what the, does the business need, what do the people need, and what do I need? And if I can't figure out what the best for the group is, then I know that I'm stuck. And then all the decisions we make are usually set from that perspective. And it's really the leadership, uh, which of who we are and how real we are. So I get into work some days very unhappy. Is that being conscious? Am I being aware of how I affect other people? I am. Can I change it? Can I not change it? What can I do to get better? How do I come back the next day? So it's the finer things that we don't look at that, you know, did I say hello to everyone? Did I pick up the garbage? Am I setting a bad example? That is really how consciousness lives in what I do and then how I talk to my staff or the people around me or, the, or, my, or my customers because a lot of them have my number. Like, what do I do? Where do I go? It's being available uh, to affect as many people as possible without driving yourself crazy. So I sat purposely next to Alan because I spend a lot of money at Shoes Press. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Susie. She's a gem. Uh, I met her three years ago, Roxana. And uh, if you guys don't know her personally, she's just a joy to know, really, truly. Thank you. So uh, it's an honor to be here. And my name is Maya. Um, I think, you know, most of you replied because you probably feel very similar to what everybody said, and I don't need to repeat what these humans have said. We're all there in some shape or form, or we're trying. But I think what I might uh, talk about is um, something that um, definitely has awakened me as an individual and kept me there every step of the way. Uh, I was a refugee as a child, and I was blown up by a grenade at age of 13 and um, I was the only conscious one and so when I talk about consciousness um, it's a very deep deep meaning for me um, during the time of the wounding I really was the only aware one and so uh, I helped the two girls around me get to the you know stop bleeding and etc but um, from that moment on I think every step of the way I've tried my best to to, to be conscious. And I, I, I know, maybe I didn't know what that meant a lot of times, but um, what I tried to do is elevate the thinking and sometimes, sometimes that is very unpleasant because as truth bearers or as conscious people, sometimes that we're gifted with that, we get all the shit. <laughs> so um, I'm sure a lot of you have felt that way many times. Uh, so, but I think this is what you originally started this with, is we need that awakening. Um, I, uh, and quick on my background and why that's all related to consciousness, I left Africa at age of 25 to join a hacker group to hack telecom systems and to uh, lower the prices of local population uh, because we couldn't find the system. And I realized that all the international agencies that I was basically on the receiving end of that aid at some point in my life, um, it was this cute system, just leading other places and we are living nicely here because of the system we're creating around the world. It's a 
it's a really, really messed up way. And so uh, I went there and went, went into telecom infrastructure development and hence how I stumbled upon Bitcoin in 2011, which if any of you read that white paper could probably go, holy shit, right? Power of a bank versus a bank account in your phone is a massive thing. And so I haven't turned my back to that since. And in 2013, uh, got involved heavily and 14 went into General Electric with one purpose to decentralize the organization and um, of course didn't tell him that but um, launched massive frameworks around the company was given a massive push uh, and raised conversations that were around why are you not distributing your supply chains and making it broader for your community to use? Why are you not allowing community to build system versus building it somewhere else? Why are you, you know, keeping the money in the network versus engaging your employees in a certain way? So really asking these questions, which some of the panelists, I think, have brought up quite clearly. So um, we currently run a fund uh, that is investing, I think one of the folks said, really consciously investing in companies that are trying to engage a larger network of populations. And, um, and also, for example, working on, which we talked about earlier just briefly, uh, we've been tapped by Barry to look at some of the security token offerings where you can um, uh, fractionalize ownership of real estate. So instead of one person owning a building, it could be a community owning a building. So I'm, I'm regarded as a, a bit of a thought leader in crypto space and decentralization space and um, <laughs> more importantly uh, started Shios. Um, Shios is a block producing company. EOS is a cryptocurrency or a blockchain but we branded it as Shios uh, and it's all women um, founded company and we fund younger girls to, uh, to get tech education. So I'm here wearing kind of two hats. Great. Thanks Maya. Wonderful. Um, so we'll start with our first topic here. Um, you might have to do a few fewer than I was expecting, but that's okay. <laughs> I like that we have a lot to talk about. That's good. Um, so we live in a time where sustainability, recycled materials, environmentally sound and conscious ingredients are merging with high-end and luxury brands. Uh, the One Hotel is a great example of that. But some brands do not innately have that integration and are struggling to make the shift. What are each of your thoughts on brand, rec brand recognition within your industries? Are brands staying true to themselves and prote projecting a conscious undertone? Is this some of just is this just for show? Um, how much of this is productive towards a fully conscious future of consumerism? Who wants to start on this one? I'll start just because something's driving me nuts, but um, we are, you know, a sustainable hotel, and we are all these things, and I actually don't believe that really matters that much if it's true or not, because vernacularizing sustainability is more important to me, personally, and even for our company, you know, these aren't recyclable. These aren't? No, and, and then these paper. are plastic, and I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting here, and I'm like, oh my god, we're all these things, and then I'm just sitting in front of stuff that kind of is a glaring misstep or overlooked part. And so, but the larger point I'm trying to make there is that we're trying, you know, we're all trying, we're trying as hard as we can. And I think that if we like acknowledge that and take the shift and accept that maybe someone said, 
when my cousins in Ohio tell me that they bought organic food, I'm like, God bless you. And that's great because at least the conversation is shifting in that direction. And I think accessibility is something that doesn't come up in these conversations often. We talk about our own businesses and our ability to unplug, but it's not the ability of everyone. And so kind of like creating a common language that can be shared is really important to me. Yeah, I want to say something about that too because it also annoys me so much. Um, I see decks every day of new hospitality spaces or like new brands focus on wellness and the rationale is because the wellness industry is growing from 8 billion to 12 billion or whatever projection and uh, just riding on a, on a business wave that is uh, happening and we're all seeing. And, and I think um, as companies are getting more conscious because people are getting more conscious. And I think it's we're overlooking the ability of people to actually feel the purity of the intention. And, and I think that's beautiful, actually, the work you do at the One Hotel because I can feel that, even though I had the same thought than you <laughs> when I saw these plastic plants. Um, but yet, I feel the purity of the intention. I can be in a place where they have maybe beautiful living plants and, and still feel uh, the energy of greed behind it. And, and I actually stopped going to restaurants in New York City because of that, because I cannot just ingest the energy of greed in my body anymore. Wow. Um, and yeah, so I think that it's, it's really people need to connect with that to feel the intentionality behind things, and I think that they are. I feel like Susie has would have some good insight on this one. The what food was the industry. <laughs> um, I think it's an interesting uh, situation. Like, I think that uh, one of your questions was about government regulation versus being uh, conscious. I will tell you at Food Network, we had about a five-year battle stepping back and thinking about pro-social and cause marketing, which is a no-brainer now, right? I mean, if you don't stand for something, get the fuck out, right? <laughs> like as a brand, especially with Gen Z and millennials, but even, even beyond. And we had about a five-year battle with Food Network trying to support hunger. And hunger, mm, that's a downer. Remember this, but hunger was a downer. Why would we would celebrate food? Why would we ever do something as horrible as showcasing lack thereof? We were like, it's actually perfect, okay? And we had to shift presidents in order to be able to actually get our, our company on board with hunger, and especially childhood hunger, which, you know, just, it's wrong in every way. And um, what I realized is that the key, sad to say, but happy that it happened, was ad sales. So when we had a base of advertisers, like Sarah Lee or Unilever, that wanted to be down with that, well, then it all of a sudden made a lot of sense. Now, internally, it mattered to a lot of us. But it made sense from a, well, they're on board with it, and we could do some co-branded short form, and we could all talk about this hunger thing, and we would make money. So when it affected our bottom line, I'm not saying there's not good people there that got on board with it. They did. It was harder than it needed to be, though, just simply because it was the right thing. We're a media company. We have a platform. We can talk about something that we need to generate awareness for. But I, I feel as if there's a, a need sometimes for the for it to make sense on a level that it might not make sense to the greedy. And that, that is just the way that it is. 
I'm not saying that that's right. I'm saying oh, however you get there, you know, for me is is good. And I live I lived that. So I don't know. That's what I wanted to say. Um, just wanted to add one thing to that. I mean, I've so much of what I'm hearing just resonates, and I think one thing that we have to be mindful of, um, you know, in our line of work, I think it's true for most, is there's this view that you know you have to make like a make a business case for purpose. You know, you know, if if it suits us, it's great. We will do it. It's not that we don't have the intentionality, but the question is, when it's time to make a hard choice. What are you going to choose, right? So I think until we get to a place, and one of my panelists said this, you know, I think it was you, that, you know, I don't know if I'm a conscious business, but I'm a conscious human. So until the leadership gets in a place for an organization where they're truly conscious, you know, these things are not going to change. So the question we ought to be asking is not whether or not we can make a business case for purpose. Like, let's make a purpose case for business, yeah. right? I mean, that that's being conscious. That's coming from a place where, and, and inherently, all of us know this. There's so much data on this. Companies that are run by really purpose-driven, you know, centered, integrated leaders, they just perform better. Why? Because motivation is high. Because you, give a, 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 you create a culture where people can plug in. They can belong to something bigger than themselves. You move the big knobs that are required to fix a company by having it be a purposeful company. And here we are trying to figure out, well, let's send them to training, and let's do this, and let's do this, and we keep trying to apply these small little patches, and we're missing the whole picture. So even if you're just a greedy bastard, <laughs> right, it's really good for your company to be purpose-driven. <laughs> be a greedy bastard and do good for the world. It's, it's interesting. Um, on, the, on the purpose, <clears throat> if you look at Amazon, uh, we just went in front of them to talk about more efficient, like, supply chains that are actually good for the environment because right now Amazon contributes massively. By the way, those packages you get, disgusting. No, 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 disgusting. I know it suits all of us and we like the convenience. It is super disgusting. Talk about misuse of purpose, huge. And I think when I went in there, we thought that we were going to boot, get booed out of the room and I was really afraid because they called us in. It was a number two to, to the man and and uh, one of the first things I said is, I would first like to hear your proposition of how you're going to change the purpose around packaging. I mean, literally, that room stopped. I thought they were going to boo us out. And so um, it wasn't pretty. But what I'm trying to say with this is that what I'm noticing through blockchain, and I've noticed it in telecom, I've noticed it in other technologies, is we tend to put this onto others. Like, we, the company has to do it. They have to do it. Well, we kind of have to do it. When you're drinking that iced coffee and you're, and you're getting it in a plastic cup, why the f are you doing that? Why are you not going back and saying, who owns the coffee shop? When are you guys switching from these plastic cups? What does it cost you to do that? I, I get stares when I ask that, and I ask it nicely. But I think the more of us, if we ask it, we're, we're going to get responses. So regulation, I think you mentioned like, right, government, like who's pushing, right? What I see now in decentralization with this whole crypto and ICOs, you're seeing literally people pushing the SEC, right? So we're, they're pushing the regulation. And, and that, will, that will be the case. So I think, I think we, we hold that burden. We can't keep on saying, oh, that will solve it. We, I think each of us have to be part of that. In, in a virtual basis. Yeah. Well, there's also the reframing of all 
of these things so that the consumer themselves also views it as something good. And, you know, we always say internally, let's take away that sustainability is give, taking away from you. It's giving you less, less, use less energy, create less waste. And how do we reframe it so that the consumer views it as something that's giving them more? And so that it becomes this like luxury, it becomes something that they're willing to pay more for. And by p the leaders and the influencers and whatever fucking word you want to use for these people, that they post about it online and then everyone's like, I kind of want that more too, you know? So then we start shifting just the perceived value of things. And that I think echoes back to that business model. Alan, did you want to add anything? I'm confused. <laughs> I think everyone's just throwing in on the general topic. The general topic. Yeah. You know, you know when you guys are, you know, five, six years old and you do something and you're like, oh, that's amazing. And you get like seven, you're like, that was stupid. You get to 10, you do it again. Like, oh, that's the easiest thing in the world. So then you get to 11, you're like, wow, I didn't, that was not necessary. So as human beings, we only see what's in front of us. And the minute our perception leaves our, you know, our, I guess, field of our ability to change something, we get into a place where we can't do anything. So if I'm going to reach for this bottle of water here, I can grab it. Now, if I want to reach the bottle of water over there, I'm already so far ahead of where I need to be and what I'm doing, that I've lost my intention. Am I, I'm sitting here in New York. Why am I thinking about Paris or Italy or Miami? So when I look at any company or, 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 or what everyone's doing, I kind of just see, when I walk in, what are the employees doing? Do they want to be there? Do they want to be working? And this is when you start to see how things change around you or how companies change. It's when the people who are, whatever they're doing or the tasks they have, might not be good for the you know, society, might not be good for, the, for, for pollution. But you can't change that until you realize it's happening. And by being aware of what's happening at the moment you're doing it, environment is going to start to create that feeling. And then you see things change, you see companies change, and you see, you know, her question, if your employees don't know how much your plastic cups cost, or your food costs, I have food costs, I have, you know, I have rent, electric, you know, do you keep the AC on the summer? Certain things, I get fined. So I teach my staff, I go, you know how much that cup costs? Here's, you got to teach them so they understand what they're doing. You want to walk into a store, ask a question. Hey, how many cups do you use a day? If you get, you know, aggressive, you know, sometimes, you know, <laughs> you got to get people to listen to you. And if you, if you want to figure that out, talk to a child. If you're aggressive, they're not going to take it in. Same, same as adults. So I just say the fact that people are looking around or companies are being asked to consider what they're doing, they're, they're making a shift. Whether or not, you know, the leader of the company or the, or is heading, he's, he may not even know what's happening with it happening. So I think for anyone going anywhere, just keep an open mind and, you know, whatever you're walking into, learn from it and watch the environment and see how it makes you feel because you get more out of that than you will just sort of, you know, picking things apart that what's out of your reach. Great. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. Um, I was just involved in a panel that was focused on Gen Z and millennials. That's why I'm kind of referencing it. But half the country is under 30, right? So force of hand. Uh, 57% of uh, Gen Z think the world is an uncertain and somewhat scary place. 60% uh, of Gen Z have been bullied or harassed online. 81% of them think that brands or corporations actually have the power to change the world. 
and while they probably support causes more than corporations, there's a really obvious thing that I think we all know, but that gets punctuated by this data, which is you must stand for something. I don't want to work there if you don't stand for something, and I'm not going to buy it. So when we talk about, I think, business and what makes good sound business, that's just where it's going. It's just about, I think, brands and corporations finding the right lane to do that authentically. Great. Thank you. Um, so shifting gears here, that was kind of the impact conversation. So I'll give you guys one about introspection. Um, I want to discuss introspection as a mindset um, and a business tool. What are some techniques individually and on a corporate level that your business or others you recognize within your own industries are doing to improve themselves from the inside out? Who'd like to be in? Um, I, there was something really interesting. I think, Karan, you said it earlier, and I, I believe it was you. Um, at GE, it was tough to get that, right? I, um, I struggled with this whole efficiency thing, creating more efficiency, creating more efficiency, you know, efficiency, efficiency, to a point where I said, why are we trying to just chase this efficiency? And, um, and the answer back in the room with the executives was, if we don't do it, somebody else will do it. So then we're going to lose the market share. That was the answer. Which, which, which everybody's at this race, right? Every brand, and I'm sure you see that, and you know, through assemblage, right? Other maybe houses coming on and whatever. It's always a race, right? How do you get that market share? But then how do you how do you practice the consciousness and evolution of employees and everything everybody's mentioning? Right, but you still making money that's important to you, right? Or is that even a question to ask? I don't know. But um, in the system that we currently have, where public companies are linked to quarterly reportings, there is very little consciousness because it's all about that bottom line. And I think you alluded to that earlier, Susie. And and I think it's like it's. There's no, there's no, there wasn't any kind of, you know, there wasn't much of retrospection. There wasn't much of let's think through if we are really building that country in Nigeria when we're selling the, you know, turbines, or let's just sell it because that makes sense because that, you know, I make my quarterly numbers. So, so in organizations like that, right? Um, I mean, obviously. In ours, we do all kinds of crazy things because that's just what I do. But um, we we really make sure that we um, that we're exposed to all of that. But I, th I just think the system we live in, we, we it's not it's in, not in isolation. It's all connected. Anyone else want to comment on yeah, introspection? I'll, <laughs> I'll take that in a slightly different direction. Um, so and I, I mentioned previously that I, I just fundamentally believe, and I don't know it's if, if it's empirically true, but this is my experience, that the leadership of a company is really setting the tone in, in, in such a powerful way. And it's not necessarily, you know, what's in the handbooks, and uh, it's, it's not even necessarily, you know, what they put in the KPIs, is these unconscious behaviors that are happening in a business at all times. So I believe that. So if I, if I believe that's true, then then for the companies that we invest in, or even running our own firm, what we've decided to do is, you know, make sure that we actually have some kind of a, I don't want to call it a process, but we're being mindful about being conscious. So 
introspection as a tool is something that is, I hate to say, use the word prerequisite because all my partners, you know, they, everybody came in because this is what they signed up for, is we will make time to be introspective, right? We will, what does that mean? That means, you know, you ought to have a meditation practice. You ought to go in silence every once in a while. You ought to be, you know, all the things that don't sound that cool, but I just fundamentally believe, I mean, you know, what is consciousness? You ask, you ask the scientists and they'll tell you consciousness came from matter, right? So how does something that's inert produce consciousness? And then you ask the mystics and they'll tell you consciousness created matter. Right? So you pick what you want to believe. I choose to believe that, that this entire planet that we live in was created from consciousness. We are all conscious. Conscious just means that you are aware. If you can see, if you can touch, you know, it's the degrees of consciousness that you want to step into so you, you have a different perspective and you get to the level of unity consciousness where I know that me taking an action that gives 10 bucks in my pocket and takes $10 out of his pocket for this quarter, I'm just hurting myself because we're connected. And it sounds airy-fairy, but until you get to that place where you can really connect to that, you know, that level of consciousness, um, it's really difficult because otherwise you're making these zero-sum decisions. So the tools that I try to, you know, this is just kind of my personal view, I don't know if this works for anybody else, is I have a meditation practice at least twice a day, right? I, I, I take time for that. When I have to make a decision that's really critically important for our company, I go in silence. I try to connect to a source that's, I don't know what it is, you know, it's, it's, it's guidance. I don't call it God, I'm not religious, call it, you know, cosmic energy. But to me, that is you, the subtler and subtler and subtler and subtler levels of consciousness that you can connect to that just make your decisions fairly automatic. And, and the leadership in a company has to be there and it's gotta be encouraged. You know, if somebody comes to us and is like, oh, I'm gonna take a couple hours to go meditate, it's like, dude, awesome. <laughs> star, you know. So uh, I think you have to you have to have understanding of what consciousness is, and then you have to say if it's important to you, what am I doing on a very pragmatic, you know, practical level to enforce that? It's horrible choice of words to enable that uh, in your company. And so, you know, we have a bunch of finance guys sitting around here. We have debates and discussions about spirituality and consciousness and what it is. You know, we 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 do readings about you know things that are quote unquote mystical in nature. You know, some of the deep deep traditions. In, in yoga, and we try to figure out how can you incorporate that kind of a wisdom into this kind of a, we're all good with numbers. We built a career on it and realized that there's a lot more to it than just that. And so if we use the same approach, the linear thinking mind approach to consciousness, we're starting in a box already and it's not gonna work. So expand your horizons, you know, tap into some of the wisdom traditions and if consciousness is something you're really after, it's an inside job. You're not going to find it an experiment out here. You're going to experience it in here. So do whatever you need to do to get to that place where you experience it. Because once you do, you'll know. You know, we're all we're all one. We're all come from the same place. Don't you think though? What do you mean by that though? Do you feel like you get to a kinder place? Do you feel like you get to a smarter place, a clearer place? Like you go to the source to bring out what in it's, you? For me, it's compassion. For me, what comes out is it's this knowing and it's this compassion that, you know, I am my brother's keeper. And I'm not a socialist. I'm a complete capitalist. Let's start there, right? But doing that, I think I said earlier, intention matters. Intention has power within it. And somebody else mentioned, you know, when you walk into a place, you can sense the intention of that place. right? So, yeah, this is getting a little bit on the spiritual level, but that's what we're here to talk about, right? Consciousness is a pretty spiritual concept. And so for me, it comes from a place of compassion. It comes from a place of knowing, and it comes from a place that... The decisions that I make, they have this—they have this butterfly effect, and 
I am responsible for what happens down the line five, you know, you know, five clicks down. You know, so if you come from that place, you automatically, your decision making is going to be different. And now balancing that in a capitalistic society, I mean, we don't have a private equity firm. Imagine having this conversation with our investors, right? We have it. And most, most people say, ah, you guys are crazy. We're not, you're not for us. It's like, good. Well, you're not for us either. You know, we'll find investors that truly believe this and want to help propagate this kind of a world where you can be a capitalist, you can create wealth, you can do the things that are necessary for you, you know, whatever your, your ego at that point in time needs. But do it in a way where, where you're not just annihilating you know, everything else around you. It doesn't need to be that way. Right. I, I feel like you're going to have a nice yeah. alternative. Um, yeah, I was kind of struggling figuring out how I fit in on this panel before. And what you just said really, like, I think tapped into it for me, which is great. Um, it's that, like, recognition of history. And for me, it's the recognition of that we're animals. We're not humans. We're actually animals. We're just a subset of them. And we can't ignore that we've co-evolved with nature for 200,000 years. And so for me, consciousness is taking that step into that realm, going back, turning these lights off, breathing in this fresh air, just recognizing those things. And I have a lot of friends with severe levels of anxiety, some of them in this room. And um, I won't point any. <laughs> and, you know, I always remind them that we were once animals who were on, you know, a high desert, a low desert, a valley, and we heard something scary like a storm happen and our anxiety chemicals rose, and then we went and hid under a tree, and our, our anti-anxiety chemicals combated those, and that was it. And now we're dealing with your retirement plan. I might die of a heart attack. When we were sitting up here, I was like, am I going to have vertigo? And I was like, oh, no, I'm just scared of public speaking. Like, <laughs> these are the things that we're dealing with now. And so for consciousness, for me, is kind of this recognition that there is a biological history that we have to tap into. And when we were chatting before this, I was like, well, I love to run. And then I was thinking about why I love to run. And it's because I can feel my heart beat. I can feel the ground. I can feel my body working as a full system. And it's not to lose weight, because God knows I'm not winning that battle. But like, I am winning the battle of bringing myself back to what the, my body is supposed to do in this universe. And how do you use that kind of introspection in a business world? Well. I'm going to sound like my mother. I wish she was here because she's a little working class general. Um, but I just think that all of our team members, regardless of where they are within our group, are deserve that same right. So we build programs to ensure that people have access to healthy foods, have time off, paid time at work to exercise. And so then that spirit, and we were talking about this earlier about your team, you know, that spirit of you know, care comes out from within so that when you go to these uh, businesses, you can feel that consciousness and that pride, self-pride and pride for the place that you work. And they know, you know, they can feel that pride back. So I definitely take those kinds of thoughtfulness and say, come and sit in the lobby and feel all those plants hugging you. You know, a dappled light in a tree canopy will do amazing things for your need for Xanax. It's like unreal. <laughs> so just like get under a tree sometimes. Great. Um, so yeah, for me, it's uh, for us, it's easier in a way because we build an environment that's all around intentionality and mindfulness and meditation. So we we share that space with the team and with the members. Um, we use some sort of 
like all sorts of neuro hacks. Like uh, we have an intention altar at the entrance of the building. So every time you walk in the building, you take a flower and you put it in the water and you put an intention for your time in the space. And, and that works for employees and, and members of the space. And that kind of creates that thing in your brain where when you're in the space, you're always connecting back to your original intention that morning. Um, we have a um, big wish tree uh, where we put intentions for the month, uh, for the lunar calendar. Um, and, and then we have the meditations that we share. So actually the 3pm meditation is something that we started doing before opening the assemblage when we were still in our Wall Street office. I would stop everyone at 3 p.m. and just gather everyone in a circle. Uh, we were actually in the Trump building, so that was pretty fun. Yeah, that's why we needed it. And, and yeah, and for me, 3 p.m. is something that we brought into, now it's actually in the two buildings, in the hotel and the co-working space. Uh, 3 p.m. meditation is the most important one for me because that's when your productivity levels like really go down and that's when you actually go for the sugar or the coffee or something that's going to take you even lower into your energy levels. Um, it's going to bump you up and then take you down. So that's when you need to stop and just recenter and regather and just go back with higher intentions. Um, for us, obviously, meditation is really important. Um, we share that with the team. Uh, and with everyone, a lot of the people that are working with us in our buildings, we have 40 people in, in the first building and 100 in the second one in the hotel. A lot of those people never had any exposure to meditation before joining us. And and now they all they all do it. They, they meet every week in a circle with their managers and they meditate, they share, they play instruments. Um, they just really connect on a human level. Something else that we do is before opening the buildings, we we take everyone up to our property upstate. We have a retreat place in Bedwoods, and and we just share walks in the, in the forest and the river, um, and we and that's before anyone knows who everyone else is and what their positions are. So I created bonds with people in the building that you know maybe in the kitchen or in the front desk and. And just like human connections, um, because we're just all the same, really. We're just humans you know, trying to live on, in this crazy planet. <laughs> and, and the other thing that's important for us is to, to share the vision with everyone. Um, I don't really believe in leadership, and it's a word that really bothers me. Um, I think that... There's a lot of shared dreams in humanity and a lot of uh, shared visions. So I, I definitely don't take ownership for the vision of, of the space. And, and a lot of people actually walk in the building and say, I had a dream of a place like this. And, and it's been beautiful confirmation of uh, we're really just tapping into something that's uh, really universal and collective. And... So no one's there implementing our vision. Everyone's there because they had a vision like that and they just joined and they're actually fulfilling their own mission by being there. Um, so yeah, creating, and, and that actually creates a cohesion field in, in the space. 
that is extremely important because it's what's the foundation for all the other companies to come in and try from there. And I always say that space is just 50% physicality and 50% the energy that people bring into the building. So if you have people coming in every day into the building to work, they're going to create, create the space in a way. And especially in our hotel where we have people sleeping there and spending cycles of 24 hours, just having the team be the holders of the space, in a way, space holders. Um, especially we're in Wall Street, so um, yeah. we actually need that protection and energy <laughs> from what's going on down there. Great. Um, what about Susie or Alan? Anything on introspection? I've said a lot, so I want to go now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think everyone has to find a place of, you know, this, this very smart man. I've been lucky to be around really, really well-rounded people spiritually. Um, so one of the friends of mine, dear friend of mine, is much older, uh, does a lot of uh, corporate training. He's an actual acting coach. And he gets him in a room, and then he, he says, okay, write down what this word means to you. And you sit in a room, and it's a word that we all think we know, which we know the definition of. And you get 20 different answers. So we have a word that we feel that we've heard since we're children, that we know, but we, we all relate to it differently. And so he says, There's no, there is no wrong definition to a word. So I look back and I figure out, well, what's important to us and how are we in our most, I guess, adaptive state? And that's when we're kids. So if you look at a child and you want to have some inspection, they don't need what we need as adults. They need less clothes, less food, less things to define who they are. And they're able to communicate in a way that even adults can't. So when I looked at how I was going to build my next business, part of me building my space was the intention was to find out where would a kid want to hang out and what would make a child feel comfortable. And if we can look back and we look at ourselves as children, we'll probably get a better idea of how to get along and then how to create more awareness and consciousness through what we do. Because kids are really the vessels to our intellect and you just watch how they learn and, how, and what they feel. If you're angry, they're angry. If you're happy, they're happy. Not, not from words, just from emotions. So that was a big part of, uh, of always looking back as a child because if you look at any relig religion and you look at any spiritual path, you know, you basically are born clean, you get dirty and you got to become clean again. And it's how do you take all, off all those things who you are and what you are and what you bought and in your name and your career and your Bachelor degrees, and is it what does it mean? Does it define you? Because when kids are small, no matter what race, religion, color they are, they all get along. So that's that's uh, that's kind of what I apply when I when in introspection. Great, Susie. Did you answer this one? Did you want I didn't, to? I, I, I think everybody's had such compelling and cool things to say. I don't know if I have anything equally as cool, but um, I guess I feel like uh, we're a small company. I came from a big company, we're a small company, and it's not a, for me, it's not a time of day, it's not a particular practice, it's a mindset and a way of life. So how I am at work is the same as I am with my kids at home, 
and with, you know, people that I interact with. I have shitty days and act like a complete jerk and, uh, you know, and then regret it and try to remember. Um, but I, I think that's really the key to what a lot of these people are. They live this way and they practice this because it's what they believe. And they don't want to work anywhere or run a company that doesn't run like this. And I think that's um, really hopeful and, and positive to hear about. Great. Equally cool answer. Um, so we're running a little bit over, so <laughs> shocking, shocking with this group, never. Can we stay to our one um, minute? <laughs> um, so I think we'll open it up. Jesse, do you want to be a mic runner for Q&A? Does anyone? Oh, you're there. Never mind. We don't need you, Jesse. You're good. We're good. Does anyone have any questions they would like to ask? We got one over here. Hey, um, Will Cyphers. Thank you guys for uh, coming today. It's been really insightful. Uh, my question is, I, I work in the marketing and advertising field. Uh, I work for a global brand that is an ingredient brand, and they have a terrible ingredient that makes up their product. But <laughs> it's the way they've made their money for quite some time and many years. Uh, how do you get a brand to start thinking about sustainability when it's and so that it's not just like we're going to be sustainable in 2025. Like, how do you bring that uh, conversation further and further to the future? Um, so I just would like to get your guys' insight on something like that. Quick question for you: uh, Are they your client? Do you lose them as a client? Are they? You know, no, I know, but yeah. they're my client. Yeah, they're my client. I mean, there's a there's a big there's a bigger picture thing with. Uh, not being able to really relate to them, but that's my current client right now. And I mean, could you live without them? Could I live without them? <laughs> I'm sure I could move on to another piece of business. Um, it's a part of a. I'm a part of a bigger organization, so that's kind of my my position at the moment. Uh, you can make decisions. You only control what's in your reach. So your choice what you make to work with the client or not. And you can voice your concern. You can standby, and then it's going to come down to can you economically afford to have this one? And if you can, the answer is get rid of it. <laughs> but I think, I think there's also a way of looking at problems as challenges mm -hmm. and, and turning it around as that's an opportunity to actually bring consciousness to something. Um, and so for me, the way I would approach that, it starts, like someone mentioned, with the leaders or the person that's in charge and their own transformation. So if you can guide that person to go inside and look inside and transform himself, that's how you can impact it. And sometimes it's not about the brand, it's about the people that are making decisions.
I think um, reframing it, because sometimes there's stigmas around words like sustainability, reframing it around human health is a big, big step in That's probably the right direction. And then um, I've made my biggest successes in this field uh, through risk and reputation. So um, actually calculating out the potential financial risk through things like a 10K report and a CDP carbon disclosure project have been ways that I've shown your potential risk. However, if you pivot this way, here's your potential revenue. Um, so it's a risk avoidance strategy. But I would, I've won many battles with Barry over human health. Like, don't put in this carpet because children will get cancer. Like, that's kind of where I go. We, we regulated lead in 1970, and um, congratulations, Newark, New Jersey. Please don't drink the water. It's still 50 years later, and we're drinking lead water. So human health is selfish, and it's a way easier conversation to be had than sustainability. Although part of the puzzle, yeah, or is it MSG is, it MSG? is the question? Oh, man. We're all dying. <laughs> Everyone has breast cancer. Men, too. March tomorrow. And I was just kind of, you know, I think everyone should just set a flux and then say, if you don't do it, you know, you're right. Probably awaken consciousness is the top flux saying that, yeah, that, you know, guess what? You're going to be sued if this goes wrong. Well, they're seeing so I wish that was it wasn't the reason why they were trying to like pull up that conversation, but I think every um, win's a win. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Great.